You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. We are in a series at the moment called Tales of Old, and we're actually looking at a, a number of different uh, Old Testament stories, the Old Testament classics. This morning, uh, Steve preached a great message on David and Goliath. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go online and watch it. It is a great time. Uh, not only did we all have a good laugh, but some seriously good stuff in there. And I just want to encourage you to make sure you go back and, and listen to it. But tonight, uh, we're, so we're looking at different classic uh, Old Testament stories, and we're just trying to take a, maybe a different angle on it, trying to dig a bit deeper, look at it from a different kind of perspective, and just see if we can't find something new in something that we've read many times or heard many, many times. And my heart for tonight is that maybe your faith would be built, maybe you'd go away with something that can help you on your journey. Today, I'm looking at the story of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark. All right. So, let me summarize the story for you. The world was evil, so much so that the Bible says that God regretted creating them. I feel like that's, yeah, that's wow. <laughs> he regretted creating mankind. There was only one man who was found blameless, and his name was Noah. God asked Noah to build an ark to save his family and every uh, male and female of every living thing from a flood that would engulf the entire earth, wiping out all of mankind. The Bible says that Noah did everything as God commanded. He built an ark. He loaded everyone on board. God shut the door, and the rain began to fall. For the Bible says 40 days and 40 nights, the flood came. They drifted for another 150 days before the flood stopped. It was another like 200 plus days after that, that they were instructed to leave the ark, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. You will also remember the familiar part of the story, which is that sometime after the flood, God put a rainbow in the sky as a reminder to his people of his promise to them to never, ever again flood the earth, which is good news for us in our leaky building right now. <laughs> now, as I have studied this story, and as I re-looked again at not just the story of Noah's ark, but the character of Noah, I came to the conclusion that out of all the biblical faith heroes, Noah is probably the least impressive. I mean, think about Noah. On a, on a hero scale, I think that Noah could probably be likened to the likes of Batman. I'm sorry for any Batman fans out there, but Batman... His only superhero is that he was rich and he had cool gadgets, right? I mean, he didn't have laser eyes. He didn't go through walls. He wasn't like super, he didn't have super speed. He wasn't fast. He couldn't fly without his gadgets. He didn't get bitten by a spider and have cool spidey powers. Like Batman is not super impressive when you break it down. When you look at Noah, his hero status was obtained because he built a boat. Like for real. He, I mean, he didn't lead armies like Gideon or Joshua or Deborah. He isn't like a man of God prophet like Samuel or Elijah. He's not killing any giants like David. He doesn't lead a nation out of slavery like Moses. He doesn't save a nation 
uh, like, um, like Esther. In fact, the only people he saves is his immediate family. He doesn't even let his mother-in-law on board. <laughs> Noah built a boat. And we know the Bible says that he was a righteous man, but he certainly wasn't a perfect man because sometime after the flood, we, we read that he gets drunk on his own homebrew and then his sons find him drunk and naked in his tent. So he ain't perfect, right? And yet, he made it into the faith hall of fame in Hebrews. His faith is shown to us and put before us as the kind of faith that we should model our faith after. But that's the beauty of the story of Noah. That is the beauty found in the story. That is why we need to stop at Noah, pause right there, lean in and look at him a little bit closer. Because if a man as ordinary and as imperfect as me, and if a man as ordinary and imperfect as you could have a faith that we should aspire to, then there's hope for you and for I. You see, Noah was not great because he did anything particularly great. What makes Noah great is found in Genesis 6 verse 9. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Here it is. Here's the key to his greatness. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. And we're going to spend some time tonight looking at that walk with the Lord. Because as I read through Noah's story, I realize that yes, he walked with God, but I am absolutely positive that that walk was not a walk in the park. And you and I both know, in fact, I can testify to this without a doubt because of my own experience that sometimes when walking with the Lord, it's hard. Sometimes when walking with the Lord, it's long, it's windy, it's uphill, it can be lonely, it can sometimes be stormy, it can be rocky. The walk can oftentimes be really unclear, but today, let's learn from Noah as he walked with the Lord. Are you ready for a couple of points tonight? All right, the first one is this. Here's what I've learned from Noah. I've learned that sometimes the walk can be silent. Sometimes the walk is silent. Let me show you something that happens in chapters 7 and 8 of Genesis. I'm going to geek out for a minute here if you just allow me to. There's this mirroring that we see in the Hebrew in the days of events that the Lord describes in, in God's instruction. In God's instruction, it says, in seven days I'll flood the earth. And following the instruction, it says that Noah did everything as God commanded. The ark, the animals, his family, everybody loaded on board. Then it says, after seven days, the rain began to fall. Following that, it says, for 40 days and 40 nights, the floods came. The Bible then records that the waters covered the earth for 150 days. And then we learn that the flood waters begin to recede, and after another 150 days, a boat comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat. 40 days on from that, Noah releases a raven and then a dove. Both find no place to land. After seven days, he sends out a dove again, this time returning with an olive leaf. He waited another seven days, released the dove, and it didn't return. The waters begin to recede. The earth becomes dry. God opens the doors and allows him and his family to leave. See, what we see here is a pattern. There's a mirroring of the days that God gives instruction to Noah. I've made it into a little chart. Seven, seven, 
40, 150, 150, 40, 7, 7. See, here's what we know about what God, what Noah was told by God. He was told that the world was corrupt and that God was going to wipe out the whole earth via a flood. He was given some very clear set of instructions about how to build the ark, who was to come on board, and when this was going to happen. He was told that the rain would come for 40 days and 40 nights. You can leave the picture up there. Sounds like an Auckland weather forecast, if you ask me. And that was about it. That was it. There was no plan for after the rain. There was no information on when the rain would, when the rainwaters would recede. There was no time frame on how long the earth would stay flooded for. Noah was not given that information. There was no instruction on how long they had to stay on the boat. There was no, uh, there was no news on where they might end up. Like they're just floating. Where are they going to end up? Where are they going to land? Like, I would have so many questions about there was no plan. There was no information on where they'd end up when the floodwaters went down and what they would do when they got there. As far as we know, there were no mid-build catch-ups. There were no post-build debriefs. There was no mid-flood check-ins with God. Please also keep in mind that prior to the flood, Noah had no idea what rain was. Water, the way that the plants and the ground was watered prior to the flood was through springs that came up through the ground, not falling down from the sky. This thing called rain was not familiar to him at all. Noah was in completely unknown territory here. Noah was given a very limited set of instructions about something he had absolutely no reference of knowledge on. He was not told much of the when, the how, the what from God. And then God went silent. He went silent. We hear no other instruction from the Lord until over a year after he closed the boat on the door. In fact, I calculated that it's approximately 454 days from when God closed the door in Genesis 7 verse 16 to when he said, leave the boat in Genesis 8. 454 days. Imagine that. Imagine what it would have been like for Noah in that place, right? He's had instruction about seven days and seven days and 40 days it's going to rain, and then for 150 days he sits silent before he notices anything begin to take place. Imagine what it would have been like for Noah in that place. No news of when it would end. The world as he knows it has completely disappeared. He's trapped in a floating prison filled with animal chaos, and I would imagine some pretty decent family drama right in there. I reckon that after 150 days, I kind of reckon, and I wouldn't put, I wouldn't blame Noah if he wondered whether God had forgotten about them. That when you are sat in this place, it's real easy to feel forgotten by God. I would have. And I bet that you can easily imagine what Noah would have felt like because it's safe to say that you have often felt that same way too. We have all been through seasons where we felt like God has gone silent on us, where we have felt like the instructions are limited, the communication is limited, where we feel like 
God's been kind of vague on me now. The timings are unknown. The waiting feels long. The silence feels deafening. Here's the thing. Obedience would be easy if we knew all the details. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't obedience be so easy if we knew the outcome? Wouldn't obedience be so easy if we just knew the destination? Wouldn't Noah's obedience be so, so much easier if God had told him the seven, the seven, the 40, the 150, the 150, the 40, the seven, the seven? Wouldn't it have been so much easier? And yet, yet this obedience that is required of us in our walk with God often comes with an element of the unknown. I don't know about you, but every time I am asked by God to step out in obedience in my walk with Him, there are so many things I do not know about the outcome. It requires faith to build an ark without having ever heard of rain. It requires faith to step onto an ark without knowing when I'm allowed to step off. It requires faith to walk with God even though the walk is sometimes silent. What is most interesting about this mirroring picture that we have here is that there was a turning point. There was a turning point right there when I would imagine it was in its most difficult days. Noah had no idea that his turning point was coming. In his most long and trying time, that when the journey ahead was still unknown, we read the words in Genesis 8 verse 1, and God remembered Noah. Right there, after, oh, sorry, right there, after 151 days, at the 150 day mark, right there, the scripture says, and God remembered Noah. But wait, did God actually forget Noah? Because like I know it feels like that sometimes, and I know that that feels like oftentimes it's true, doesn't it? And I know that it would seem like if we were in that place, we would feel forgotten by God. But, but is, that like, is that actually the case? Did God really forget Noah? The Hebrew word for remember in this verse is zakah, which means a remembering that leads to action. See, it's not that God forgot, it's that now was the time to act. It's not that God forgot, it's that now was the time to act. See, when we read that phrase, and God remembers throughout Scripture, we read it of Noah, we read it of Rachel, we read it of Sarah, we read it of Abraham, and so many other times throughout Scripture, what we notice in that statement is that when it says, and God remembered, it is always followed by God moving. There was always a God remembering and then an action that takes place. It's always followed by an action. And we know that when he remembers, it means that change is coming. See, in that place, Noah didn't know he was about to begin the uphill climb out of that place, out of that journey. When we read it, it means God remembers and then he moves. And I wonder if in your deepest place of hopelessness, confusion and loss, you might find encouragement in knowing that your turning point is coming. And God remembered. Your turning point is on its way. Perhaps today is a reminder to you that even though the walk is silent sometimes, you are not forgotten by God. Some of you need to hear that today. You are not forgotten by God. His promise to you remains. His presence with you remains, and he will bring you 
out of that place and into a place of new life, hope, fruitfulness, and faithfulness. The walk is sometimes silent, but it is never forgotten, and you are never forsaken. Sometimes the walk was silent, and I truly believe that that is so often what Noah experienced. But you are never forgotten by God. Amen? Number two, the second thing I learned about Noah is that sometimes, sometimes we walk against the grain. Sometimes we walk against the grain. See, one of the things that I've heard regularly preached about the story of Noah and Noah's ark is that Noah was mocked and ridiculed by those around him, by his neighbors. Anybody heard that before, that Noah was mocked and ridiculed and made fun of for this building a boat in the middle of nowhere and where they didn't ever see rain? And the story's often elaborated on and added to, and if you've watched Evan Almighty, Noah even comes across as being a little bit on the crazy side, right? However, however, if you read through Genesis 6, 7, and 8, which records the story um, story of Noah, if you look at also the other mentions of Noah in Hebrews and 2 Peter, there's actually no reference for anyone ridiculing, for anyone mocking him in his boat building endeavors. It's not recorded. The idea that people mocked Noah is one of those details that we have probably heard many, many times. I know I have, and we've simply assumed that it states it in Scripture outright. Given what we know of a sinful man, given what we know of the wickedness of the pre-flood humanity, it's certainly plausible that Noah, being a man of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness, endured scoffers. The Bible provides often with the historical events in Scripture, it provides a bunch of gaps and there's a whole bunch of things and details that it leaves out of the Bible. And it's natural that we imagine things. When we read them, we begin to imagine what they were like and we fill in the gaps with our own notions. But we're never actually told that Noah had an audience for his boat building. We don't even know that there was anybody looking on. We don't even know that he was building it near any neighbors or that people were watching or saw what he was up to. But here is what we do know. This is what we do know about Noah. We do know that Noah lived in a world that was counter to the ways of God. We do know that Noah walked a narrow path of righteousness in a world that was very unrighteous. And we do know that what Noah lived was different to those that he was surrounded by. See, in a world described as wicked, I can imagine that Noah's walk would have felt like it went very much against the grain of the culture that he was living in. And you and I both know in 2023 how that feels. Am I right? Uh Uh-huh. It's not an easy walk. And there are going to be times in your workplace. There are going to be times in your university. There are going to be times at your school. There are going to be times, listen, there are even going to be times in your friendship circle, even in your home, where you feel like you are walking against the grain of the culture that you are surrounded by. Here is what Noah did as he walked with God. He trusted in the ways of God over the ways of the world. And I believe in 2023 that you and I are called to, in the same way that Noah was, to trust in the ways of God over and above any way the world might be pursuing. 
And I think there is no greater time than right now to determine that even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable, that we are committed to walk in both righteousness and to walk the walk of obedience, even if it means we are walking against the grain or swimming upstream from everything that, it, or from the culture that surrounds us. See, the way that Noah walked with God in the midst of a world intent on evil is an example to you and I today of how God is calling each and every one of us to live our lives. The question is, how did Noah do it? How did he do it? Because it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's not easy. It's very difficult, especially today with social media. It's very difficult. How did Noah do it? Well, how he did it is repeated over and over again in Scripture, over and over again. Throughout his story, we read multiple times it says this. It says, Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him, and here's the key for you and I. For you and I, a walk with the Lord means developing a relationship through prayer and time spent in the Word of God. If you forget everything about this message, I need you to remember this, because this is actually the key to a walk with the Lord. It is developing relationship through prayer and time spent in the Word of God. Why? So that we can grow to a point where we A, know his voice, and B, know his word. We need that in the world that we are living in right now. Because in a world that is so loudly proclaiming what is counter to the ways of God, we need confidence that we both hear from God and know what his word says. That's what's going to give us confidence when we are swimming upstream, when we are going against the grain, so that you can, like Noah, do everything just as God commands us to. How do you know what He commands you to do? Well, it's in the Word. How do you know? It's about, it's hearing from God. It's knowing His voice. It's having Him a communication type relationship. Noah walked with the Lord. Noah walked with the Lord. Here's the good news for you and I, and the band can come and join me now. Here's the good news for you and I, because there is good news for you and I, and it's good news that Noah didn't have. We've got one benefit that he didn't have. He didn't get this benefit until he was over 600 years of age, and he'd done the whole ark flood thing, right? We have a constant and physical reminder of God's faithfulness to us in our walk. So that when it is silent and when it goes against the grain, we are reminded of his faithfulness. Genesis 9 verse 12 says, and God said this, this is a sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. Hello, that's you and I. I have placed my bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will, get, will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow in the cl- will be in the clouds and I will look at it and remember a permanent covenant between God and all living creatures on earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every creature on earth. After establishing his covenant twice, 
he repeats within three verses this phrase, I will remember my covenant. And we need to learn in Scripture that when God repeats something, we should listen. We are slow learners sometimes, and there are many times when God repeats something in Scripture. Here's a clue. Listen. When he repeats something, listen. In three different verses, he says, I will remember my covenant. What does God need us to know through saying that to us? Here's what he needs us to remember. He is not just a promise-making God. He is a promise-keeping God. He is not just a God who makes promises. He is not just a God who says some cool stuff. He is actually a God who keeps his promises and sticks to his word. And that is something that we really need to know if we are going to, like Noah, walk with God. Because sometimes he's silent. Sometimes we're in a place where we don't hear him. Sometimes we're going through seasons where there's limited instruction and no details and the time is really going on and the wait seems like it's forever. And what we need is to remember that he didn't just make me a promise, but he's going to keep it. And then there are going to be times where the walk is really difficult because we're going against the grain of everything of the culture around us where it's going to be hard and and we might find it difficult to stand up to those at work or stand up amongst those at uni to stand up for the truth of God's word. And it's in those moments where we need to remember, hang on a minute, I don't just serve a promise-making God, I serve a promise-keeping God and he is faithful. He is faithful. Because on our walk of uphills and downhills, of off-roading and windy paths, it's so important that we know that what God has spoken can be trusted. Why? Because he can be trusted. The rainbow is our reminder of this, a perpetual symbol of his infallible word, testifying to his faithfulness. Noah walked with God. He walked with God. In the silent seasons, in the difficult seasons, in the uphills and the downhills, in the lonely seasons, the chaotic seasons, the scary seasons, he walked with God. And in that walk, he experienced the grace, the favor, and the righteousness of the Lord. Let me pray for you tonight. Thank you, Lord. God, we thank you that you invite every single one of us on a walk with you. That this journey that we are on, Lord, that you call each and every one of us to, it might be a narrow path, but it is one that is filled with your promises and your faithfulness. And God, I just pray for every person that needs that reminder tonight. God, for every person that needs a reminder, Lord, that when you say it, you will fulfill it. God, that for every promise you make, you will keep. God, I believe that there are people in this room today that really need that reminder that you're a God who sticks to your word. You are not like man that you should lie or change your mind. And God, I pray for those who are walking through a silent season right now where they're struggling because they feel forgotten by you. Lord, I pray that tonight would be a reminder that you will never leave them or forsake them, that they are not forgotten, but they are seen by you. And Lord, I also pray for those who are surrounded and living 
a counterculture walk. God, I pray that they would, Lord, deepen their relationship with you. Lord, help us to build a lifestyle of prayer and of the word that we might know your voice and know your word, oh God. Help us to be filled with your courage and your boldness, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit daily so that we can walk the narrow path on a world in, in a world intent on evil. Father God, I pray, I thank you, Lord, for your promise. And I pray that we are reminded each and every day of your faithfulness on the walk that you've called each and every one of us to. You know, there are some people in the room today and, you know, many of you sitting here are on the walk. Some of us, you might be sitting here today, you might be like at the beginning of the path, you know, like you haven't quite started the walk with God yet. But as you sit here today, you really feel a sense, a calling to step onto that path and begin a journey with God. Perhaps you've never given your life to the Lord. Maybe you've never accepted what Jesus did on the cross. Maybe you've never asked him, you know, invited him to come into your life and be your Lord and your Savior. Perhaps church is new to you. But tonight, you realize that you need to step onto that path that God is calling you to, and you want to begin a journey with him. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a few moments' time, and I'm going to help you begin that journey. God loves you, and he created you with a plan and a purpose in mind. And it's definitely not always easy, but it's a righteous walk that he calls each and every one of us to, that he is faithful to see us through. And the problem is, is that we all make mistakes. We mess up, we try and we walk our own path. We try and define good and evil for ourselves. The Bible calls it sin. And that sin, it separates us from God. But as I've said, God desires nothing more than to walk a close relationship with you. And so he sent his son Jesus to live a sinless life on earth and then die a sinner's death to pay the debt that you and I were both due for our sin, the debt of death so that he could pay the price and that we could be reconciled to the Father. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. I'm going to invite every single person to pray this prayer with me. I'll pray it out loud. You pray it in your heart, but you can really make it, you can make this your own prayer. I'm going to say it, but you can really mean it. Come on, let's pray together. We say, dear Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. Thank you that you paid the debt that I was due for my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness today. I choose today to live my life for you. I ask that you would come into my life and make me brand new. I turn from my old way of living and I turn to you now. Thank you for the plans and the purposes that you have for me. I would love to know who I prayed for today. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to make you stand up. I just love it if on the count of three you could lift your hand so I can see it. I'll acknowledge it, then you can put it straight back down. If you're saying, Bex, can you count me in on that prayer? I would love to be able to acknowledge you today. You ready? One, two, three. You can put your hand up now. You're saying, Bex, count me in. Yes, 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 thank you. Yes, thank you, yes, thank you. Anybody else? You're saying, Bex, can you count me in on that prayer? Yeah, over here, thank you. Count me in on that prayer. Maybe you're praying it for the first time. Maybe today you're coming back to God again. Thank you, Lord. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness. 
God, we thank you for your reminder tonight, Lord, that we can trust you, that we are never forgotten, never forsaken. And I thank you for every person that prayed that prayer tonight, Lord God. I pray that they would know your goodness, know your faithfulness as they begin this journey with you. God, I pray that you put people around them that would help encourage them on their journey. Thank you for the plans and the purposes that you have for them. Today, we celebrate you in Jesus' name. Come on, church, would you celebrate what God has done? Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.